Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. is a day very much like today. Sunny but cool nearly three years ago when a white rented van arrived at the intersection of Young and Finch in North Toronto. The driver methodically mounted the curb, then he pressed his foot to the accelerator and what followed was a scene of indescribable horror. And by the time it was over, the bodies of the dead and wounded were strewn for blocks along Young Street. Ten innocent lives brutally taken during the worst mass murder in this city's history. Tonight, justice is finally served to the Toronto van attack killer. Alec Manassian was found guilty on all counts. So it was quite a scene here outside 361 University while this verdict was uh, delivered virtually on YouTube. Many of the victims gathered here today to watch and be there for each other, support one another. It's not closure and it's not, like I'm not happy, I don't feel like dancing, but I feel like justice has been done. I think it was a, a fair decision and he can spend the rest of his life in jail because he deserves it. Randy, we're back for part three of a series that we've been covering together. Ah, it's three years now, right? Three years, yeah. April 28th, 2018? Yeah, yeah. I believe we did part two in sometime in 2019, around the time that the confession tape came up. Oh, yes, that's right. I, I completely forgot about that. Because yeah. um, so much has happened in the interim, but... You've been out of Toronto for a while, but when you were last yeah. there, any like what? What's left of this crime in the city? Is, the, is there still any trace of it? Well, I mean, um, on the one-year anniversary, people from my work went and uh, laid flowers for the memorial because it was in my work neighborhood, as I've mentioned, mm-hmm. just down the street. Um, and then the the second anniversary, I, there wasn't anything going on because of COVID, right? A very small yeah. memorial. And, you know, it's just um, now it's just the news coverage. And now the uh, verdict has come out today, right? That that trial wasn't well covered, I don't I don't find. Uh, I've seen quite I've seen quite a bit, but I'm looking for it. But I think anything yeah. like, right now where it's. It's not like a big load of press can show up in a courtroom and take it all in and stuff. It's and and then there's probably also only like local reporters can cover it. Although Toronto would be probably the home to most national news broadcasters, yeah. but it's just like anything. When when a crime or this horrific thing first happens, everybody wants to know about it. It's news all around the world, but almost like every day that passes, it's a little less in the forefront and that's why like i find the news news sites now they're really good at like reporting the basics of breaking news but i don't find them great at following up in really like unfolding and unpacking like a really big story 
just as an example of it. But I also think like what's going on in here in Nova Scotia with the rampage. It was again, it's like Canada's worst act of mass murder in Nova Scotia. And it's the press for largely has just kind of moved on, which is kind of I don't know. It's just it's strange, but I get it because they're playing into what people want to see and what they'll click on and what ads will run for. And generally that's like the current breaking topical stories. But what about physically though, in Toronto, like if I was to walk down the streets where this happened, Mm -hmm. do you think there's any, any signs of it left or would that all be cleaned up? That would have all been cleaned up by now. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I had spoken of like the bus shelters being, demolished and you know parked benches uh, on the side of the road and you know i'd spoken of that yeah i remember when we did that originally but when we first recorded originally we did it not long after the crime happened so there was like there was still like damage but what i found like the biggest difference for me was um when i was in toronto with you like maybe last year Certain like areas where there was high traffic, they would have uh, like concrete dividers dividing the streets uh, from the sidewalks. Yeah, if there's events and stuff outside or whatever, they're gonna have that. But that's new. Like that's because when I was there, I remember seeing it being like, "Whoa!" Yeah. Like I know why that's there. Or they'd have like a big truck, you know, in front of people, right? To mm. like just put it there, like a fire truck or something, to prevent people from. Yeah, what a strange, like what a sad state of the world that that's necessary yeah i can't even believe it man um but the end is nigh because now we have the trial just finished well as far as the verdict delivery we still have the sentencing to go but we've really seen this story play out from the initial reporting the confession tape which was like his police interrogation which we did the episode of and that was just completely shocking to listen to yeah a lot of stuff has come out in the trial as well that over the last weeks basically that filled in a lot of the blanks i don't know how closely you followed it were you following the trial closely or did you just kind of watch the sentencing i yeah i just heard the sentencing basically this morning um i've been off cp24 um i've been mostly watching cnn lately yeah okay I, I followed it, not like minute by minute, play by play, but pretty much every day after yeah. whatever happened, I'd read like an article that summarized the day's notes. A lot of it was kind of like monotonous procedural stuff, just like any high profile trial. But overall, the the, the tota- totality of it all was interesting. So... We won't bother recapping the crime just because we've people who are listening to this either know it or will go back and hear the prior um, first and second part we did. But he ended up being charged with 10 counts of murder, 16 counts of attempted murder, all as a result of his what the press and what most people will call the Toronto van attack. He basically rented a rider van and drove it down. You describe the area because you you work there. How would you describe the area that he did this? Uh, so this is, uh, the area called downtown North York. So it's, um, or is it uptown? I got an email from someone saying you said downtown, but it's actually uptown. I'm from a city where we don't have a downtown and uptown. No. So it's uptown as far as Toronto as a whole. Right. But 
Toronto is made up of like six former cities, right? Mm. One of those cities is North York, right? So that's where it happened, North York, Toronto, right? Okay. So this would be the downtown part of North York, right? Okay. There's businesses there. There's a bank offices there. There's government offices there. So uh, there's residential neighborhoods right in the mix. There's condos. Um, there's malls. It's just a, a mishmash of everything. And there's the 401 highway is just right there, right? So this guy started at Young and Finch, I believe. And that's the Korean part of town. Like, uh, he just, he headed south. And, um, yeah, he went all the way down to um, just south of Shepherd. Yeah, hitting people indiscriminately. Um, yeah, indiscriminately so, on the walk. Yeah, do you um, the the video of it. There's a there's so much like kind of surveillance videos. It's like a horror movie. It doesn't look. It doesn't even look real. It's so shocking to see right like a moving van driving down the sidewalk and to see the yeah. people. Like you can almost see people look be like, what is this guy doing? And then jump out of the yeah. way and stuff. But yeah. a lot of people were just completely caught off guard but in the end right. 10 counts of murder he was charged with 16 attempted murder the trial ultimately hung on whether or not like he he admitted to doing it of course we heard the interrogation and did an episode of it where he fully admits it everyone knows he admits it and took accountability for it but his defense was ultimately that he should be found not criminally responsible so the controversial mm. ncr defense which our grandparents would have called it uh, the insanity defense or something, which right. um, nowadays we would go by not criminally responsible. But that was what made it, what was interesting is his defense claimed that due to his um, ASD, like autism spectrum disorder, right. that was what led him to be um, not able to understand the, you know, the, the gravity the gravity of of uh of what i did um yeah. this is a, an interesting thing i i what i did was i went th i read through the judge's decision but i also read through a lot of the statements that were made by the prosecution and the defense during the trial so mm -hmm. i have um one clip or one quote that i'm going to read to you and this was manassian's defense attorney um, in their closing arguments, basically summarizing their position on his mental competency. So what they say in their closing arguments is that the 28-year-old's disorder, which is autism spectrum disorder, left him without the ability to develop empathy, and ultimately he was unable to know what he did to unable to know that what he did was morally wrong. To be able to make a rational choice, you have to have a general awareness of the key facts that go into that rational decision. And the key facts have to include some sense of the degree of impact you're having on other people. Alec Manassan had no idea how horrific his actions were to the victims, their family, his family, and the community. Autism spectrum disorder played a key role in Manassan's decision to commit the attack and distorted his way of thinking similar to a type of psychosis. Bullshit. Well, I think the judge would agree with you, but ultimately <laughs> that yeah. was... That was the, the, the defense, but what I, I didn't know, and I, I had, 
hadn't realized this, but to to plead or, or to successfully get NCR, there has to be like a mental defect or a mental illness that led to, you know, the crime happening and you not being, you know, able to make the decisions or whatnot. I didn't realize that autism spectrum disorder was never actually used in the NCR defense. This is the first time that it was used to the point that the judge had to make a decision of whether or not that they, they would allow ASD to be considered like a mental defect. Um, oh, so they set a precedent. Is what so this saying. is a, a precedent-setting case. Oh, wow. So in the, and what the precedent is, is the judge made the ruling by looking at, you know, what how the NCR defense is defined and the history of it, and then looking at how autism spectrum disorder manifests in, in people's minds and ultimately made the decision to say, like, yes, autism spectrum disorder could be considered one of the, like, a mental illness or a mental defect or whatever that could lead to this. Although that's not to say that the judge saw it in, in the defensive way, but it sure. did set a precedent that in the future people could use with autism spectrum disorder could plead NCR as a result of having autism spectrum disorder, which I think is interesting because that's come up in past episodes I've done. I'm thinking specifically of the episodes about Lindsay Suvonaroth, who when I did the episodes about her, it's she didn't sound empathetic um, or sorry for anybody. Also, she never, she never said she had autism spectrum disorder, but I did read quite a bit of research that, that either hinted at or alluded to some diagnosis. But anyway, it's just like, it's, it's an interesting position and an interesting precedent to be set. Although I, I saw comments in the news about um, members of the autism community yeah. felt strongly that this, that this was yeah. a bad thing. Yep. But I just, I wonder what harm it would do. I think if anything, it would allow someone who is like, I get that it's a spectrum, that illness, but I, there are, I'm sure there are people very far into the spectrum that, you know, maybe this could benefit them for something that I don't know. Right. But, but there's a lot of people that are, you know, kind of, you know, off to the right of maybe who would, who would just generalize everyone who has autism is you know capable of doing this kind of thing and 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 i think that's the that's the concern yeah i i read some of the judge's decision and the judge made it very clear that they weren't equating autism spectrum disorder with criminal criminality in any way but just basically saying like it it affects the way you think and there's no debate about about that is it it can help influence and affect the way you think and act The judge decided that Manassian having autism was not enough of a factor to deem him not criminally responsible in the van attack. But the worry here is that her decision to even consider the possibility has set a Canadian precedent by considering autism a mental disorder under the criminal code. Here's what Manassian's lawyer had to say today. I think there are legal uh, rulings within this decision that are very significant. Um, and I like to think that they're significant in a good way because I think that uh, 
we, we're at a place where we need to start thinking about NCR verdicts perhaps differently, less conservatively than we have in the past. Now, because of the decision, the doors have been opened to be able to use the argument of autism as a mental disorder when it comes to future criminal cases. Although the judge said today's verdict does not say anything about the connection between autism spectrum disorder and criminality, she also rules that autism is a mental disorder by the criminal code's definition because it has an impact on brain functioning and thought processes, uh, something that concerns many who have ASD including those at Autism Canada. The idea that autism removes the ability to know right from wrong is just patently false and, and has no basis in reality. And, and here in 2021, we shouldn't be uh, forwarding such notions. And Autism Canada also adds, while hearing a judge say ASD might dispel criminality uh, was tough to hear, Far they also say this creates an opportunity to hold thoughtful conversations moving forward. And in the, the trial, they got into a lot of his history, Manassian's history, right. with autism, with obsessive behavior and, you know, and, and things that would, I guess, go to show that maybe his behavior was influenced by his autism. I didn't realize that he was obsessed with mass murder. Um, what I had, like, we knew, we know that his crime was motivated by if you want to call it the incel ideology or right. you know, whatever, we know yeah. that that was one of the motivations for his crime, but apparently yeah. he ha was like hyper-focused is the way his defense described mm -hmm. it. Super yeah. into this right. website that tracked mass murders from around the world and ranked them like based on like how many people they killed and, you know, and shown what weapons they used and all this stuff. Sure. And apparently he was like obsessed with that. Oh, wow. And of course we know, Elliot Rogers, who came up in the story, who was also a incel motivated murderer in the U.S., yeah. Um, yeah. they they made a connection to this website, Elliot Rogers being on it, and Alec Manassian encountering Elliot Rogers through this website and being becoming for whatever reason obsessed with him, Elliot sure. Roger, right. and obsessed with his manifesto. So right. it seems like. At first, like when I heard of this crime, I was like, wow, this guy got radicalized in the incel movement and did this or incel ideology, yeah. subculture. But right. I'm starting now to think it's more he got obsessed with mass murder and just for whatever clung to Elliot Roger. Like even in this trial, they talked about in high school, Alec Manassian apparently had serious thoughts about committing uh, a school shooting. Oh, wow. And didn't do it. But later on in life went on, you know, years later went on to yeah. do this. So this was like kind of like it seems like it was this brooding thing within him to commit mass violence. But yeah. what's interesting is so do you remember you'll probably recall in our earlier episodes about this story. We talked about Alec Manassian, Manassian or however you say his last name, Manassian, um, Manassian yeah, yeah. saying that he had spoke to Elliot Roger online. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I remember us talking about that, but we thought that he, he, he might have been like just BSing. BSing, yeah. Well, it turns out through the trial, like um, some of the people who presented testimony during his trial were mm -hmm. different kind of like therapists and mental health workers who were 
who were sent in to, to basically get a, a read on, on who he was, what he was about, and if he was fit to stand trial and all these sorts of things. But mm. apparently one thing they that came out of it was he had a habit of making up these lies that were proven false very easily. One yeah. was that he had connected with, with Elliot Rogers beforehand. They proved that to be false. Okay. Um, but another one was when Alec Manassin was explaining why he hated women and, be, and identified with the incel movement, he told this story on multiple occasions about going to this a Halloween party and making, um, like coming on to a girl, I guess, yeah. and she wasn't interested and ended up going with some other guy. And that yeah. like made him mad and he saw that as this kind of pivotal moment uh, yeah. that led him to feel this way. Yeah. His Alec, Alec Manassian's father said, no, never happened. He wouldn't have been at, I'd remember if he was at a party, yeah. like he wasn't there. Okay. And right. what it turned out is this was an experience that Elliot Rogers wrote about in his manifesto that uh, Alec Manassian kind of took on as, as his own like story. origin story. Wow. That's pretty, it's like, for me, that just, I don't know. It makes the, the whole thing is kind of changing. The more I learn about this guy. Yeah. Wow. Um, that man. Yeah. And another thing that we learned that we should just, before we get into the judge's decision and how that yeah. went down, yeah. one of the, one of the parts of this story that we've talked about and kind of speculated on and tried to explain is before Alec Manassian went on his killing spree, he went on Facebook and wrote that weird message announcing yeah, what he's going to do. I read, yeah. Um, they managed to ask him about that, and he basically decoded the message, and he explained what it meant and why he wrote it. So I'll explain it. So what he, he wrote on Facebook right before he went on the killing spree, Alec Manassian wrote, Private Manassian, or Private Recruit Manassian, Infantry, 00010, wishing to speak to Sergeant 4chan, please, C23249161. The incel rebellion has already begun. We will overthrow all the Chads and Stacys. All hail the Supreme Gentleman, Elliot Roger. So I, I remember reading that on the part one of, of this trilogy. Yeah, so we explain kind of the basics. So yeah. he he said he refers to himself as like private rec recruitment Asian. Uh, he wants to speak to Sergeant 4chan. 4chan is a, a website uh, message board that he was using all the time. Yeah. Uh, the, he says the incel rebellion has already begun. And for anyone who's listened to these episodes, know the incels are the people who identify as involuntarily celibate, meaning they can't get women to sleep with them. Yeah, so they... they're celibate involuntarily. Um, we will overthrow all Chad's and Stacy's. Stacy's are kind of the women of the world and Chad's are the, undeserving guys that get to sleep with those women much yeah. to the chagrin of the incels the and then he, en he ends with all hail supreme gentleman elliot roger elliot roger is another mass murder mass yeah. murderer that alec manassian was in interested in so we get the idea of of that message and we understand what what he was saying in terms of the words but we've never heard him describe it he did yeah. describe it to one of his therapists uh I'll read you a quote. When they asked Alec Manassian why he chose this message, why he sent this out, uh, and this is 
paraphrased quotes is why he did it. He says, mm. I wanted something simple that was easy to say, a catchphrase. Bear in mind, I was expecting to die and that the media was going to pick up on this. The most important words in that post were 4chan, incel, and Elliot Rogers. Uh, because 4chan gives you an identity. It says that I'm with them. Incel, because it indicates that I'm complaining about being a virgin. And Elliot Rogers, well, I'm basically using his name to boost my name. It's kind of like working at a company and your boss is really famous. Some people might brag about working for him just to boost their fame. Mm. So, what do you think of that? I think it's terrible. Um, he sucks. He, it's terrible because it's real. Like it's, yeah. it's like if you wanted to write a bizarre, scary story, yeah. let's say I'm really into horror movies from the 70s and 80s. And oftentimes they're like slashers where the, the villain is just this person who snaps and is on a killing spree yeah. or they have some paranormal power that's making them yeah. go out and kill. Right. Often the, the writers of those movies will have to come up with like the killer's motivation. Mm -hmm. When you think of Alec Manassian, it's too bizarre for like a movie. It wouldn't fit for even like a supernatural horror movie. It'd just be like, it's so absurd and out there. Yet Crazy. outside of the office that my best friend works in, this guy drove a van down mm. the sidewalk yep. and it's just, yeah, it's, that's just the part of this, the whole thing that just boggles my mind in yeah. Canada, this day and age, <laughs> the internet managed to, you know, there, I think there's no question he was radicalized. That's how I would describe it. Yeah. But it's something out of a horror movie, like you said. Yeah, it's, certainly is it's like Kubrick uh, Stanley Kubrick if he was alive today he could uh, do a good version of, of this I think let's get into the the trial and yeah. not the trial but like the decision in the verdict sure. so, was, so this was a, a trial by judge yes not a jury, yeah. No, it was it was a trial by judge, and the verdict was shown publicly in a very unprecedented but very modern way. Is the judge? I couldn't. I don't think she was in a courtroom. It looked like she was in her living room, and okay. she was on YouTube okay. giving her decision. Right. You watched this? YouTube? Yeah, I watched it on I, YouTube. I, like. Were they on Zoom or that was actually, I'd like. It looked like they were broadcasting like a Zoom kind of thing. Okay. Got um, it. You must have saw the thing that was the viral video like a few weeks ago of the judge and the lawyers in the States and one of them like accidentally turned on the cat face filter. No. <laughs> okay. It was like during this, this isn't the Alec Manassian trial, but yeah, during yeah. some trial in the States, it's like the judge is one panel of like the zoom window and the other two are like the two lawyers and one of the lawyers must have like hit a button and it put on the cat filter. So his face is like a cat's face and the judge is saying like, I think you may have a, you know, something enabled there. And the judge who, or the defense, the lawyer who had the cat face thing, he couldn't figure out how to get it off. So he, you even hear him say like, I'm prepared to go forward if we have to go forward like this. And he was oh. going to continue the event like that. But luckily they, uh, 
they seemed to help him explain. I think they explained it to him and he managed to, to, uh, to fix it. But anyway, the, um, the Alec Manassian decision was made, um, this morning, uh, the judge's decision, I think will make a lot of, made a lot of people happy. The judge Mm -hmm. did not believe he was not criminally responsible. The judge found him guilty of all 16 attempted murder and 10 counts of murder. Um, and I think the, the judge in their decision, she was, um, as they always are, like their decisions are often so well written and so great. I thought this judge did an amazing job of summarizing her decision-making process to, to not to, to consider, to actually consider him criminally responsible. But ultimately to summarize it is when you look at this crime in the steps he took to avoid someone stopping him and the steps he took to kill the most people possible, the amount of planning that went into it, it's not a spontaneous action of a madman. It's a long deliberate act of someone who knew what they were doing was wrong, knew it was going to kill people, knew it was illegal, knew that someone would stop him if yeah. he let people know. He he initially, I, and he said statements like, I feel like I accomplished my mission. Um, yeah. He told one of his therapists, who one of the therapists who asked him about, um, when people Google your name, you know, all this is going to come up. Like it, when people Google mass murder, your name's going to come up. And he said, uh, and they asked, how does that make you feel? And he said, it makes me feel happy. Um, And that was one of his motivations was for the notoriety. In fact, the judge seemed to question if the incel ideology was even a motivating factor or if it was instead a, as someone in the chat put it, a toxic LARP. Um, They, you know what a LARP is, right? A a LARP is a... LARP is like live action role play. Right. Um, so a toxic LARP, meaning like it's just like kind of a, a role he was playing. Maybe that helped motivate him to do this act of mass murder that he seemed sure. to want to do long before the incel term was even coined. Cause it, right. you know, this started with him years prior, but sure. One thing that seemed obvious is that he wanted a sense of notoriety he wanted initially his plan was to kill a hundred people was mm-hmm. what he wanted to do he wanted to set the world record and right. he had planned to do it in a different area i haven't heard where that was but i can only okay. assume it's right downtown toronto downtown like i i guess he must have been heading for the 401 or something after because uh, he was close to there yeah so. but i'm just thinking like the main mm-hmm. part of da- of Toronto, yeah. like where I go when I'm in Toronto, or, there's so yeah. much more people. Oh yeah, um, that would have been disastrous. But that's maybe that was what he was trying to do. But regardless, he his plan was to get the world record, 100 right. people. Since notoriety was a part of his motivation, the judge had made the decision that during her sentencing. She referred to him as John Doe. She didn't use mm-hmm. his name. She wouldn't give his name, yeah. What did you think of that? Good. Fuck him. He doesn't deserve what he wanted. Mm. Like, you know, this hits very close to home for me because I, I could have been murdered that day. 
like if I maybe was on a late lunch mm-hmm. or something, right? So, yeah, I, I don't want him glorified with his name out there. Yeah, I just um, I I get the the idea and and I appreciate it. I just yeah. I thought like if that was the I don't know the, enough of the legal ins and outs, but couldn't the judge have just made it like a, the kind of trial that people can't see? Like you know how there's like certain trials that you just don't even hear about because there's like court orders to not broadcast or share oh, yeah. information. Yeah, orders. Yeah, could they not have done something like that? I just feel like this was kind of strange. Like I often I think of the court and the judge as this really like methodical, almost like robotic, logical ordering of information. And sure, you know. So a part of me was like, is there not like a a procedural way to do that rather than like a personal, like kind of statement sort of. That was that was my vibe. Although I understand why the judge did that, mm. um, but it's like I think it was kind of it was a statement of why, uh, more so a statement of why they why the judge did it rather than the being an effective action. Like for example, on YouTube when I watched it, like the judge was saying John Doe when referring to Manassian, but down the bottom of the screen it said like you know whatever versus Manassian, and every so often his, you know, so it's. But I I do get it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's how it was at the Nova Scotia shooter. They didn't use his name, right? And yeah, that was it. That was the media though, which is different the, than than the legal okay. system. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. True. Like the. Right. The the media decided to not use the shooter's name at least in the beginning when it but it that seems to change now you see his name all over all over the place, um, but let me read you this is a bit longer of a quote but I think this is the best way to summarize the judge's decision what I yeah, did was I I chose it's like four paragraphs where she really just breaks down why she. Feels he's criminally responsible. Mm-hmm. She says, and she refers to him as Mr. Doe in her in her decision. So I'll I'll read it um, verbatim. Mm-hmm. So she says, in this case, Mr. Doe knew it was illegally wrong to kill people. He also knew that his plan to run down and kill people constituted first degree murder, and that if arrested, he would go to jail for the rest of his life. That is what that is why his plan was to die by cop death being preferable to jail. Mr. Doe knew that the vast majority of people in society would find an act of mass murder to be morally wrong. However, he desperately wanted to achieve fame and notoriety, believing even negative attention for his actions would be better than to live in obscurity. He'd been fantasizing about a crime such as this for over a decade. He had no direct wish to commit suicide and would not have done so independent of these offenses. However, he believed himself to be a failure saw no hope in his life in the future, and did not care if he died as long as he died while achieving fame. He considered the impact it would have on his family and deliberately set those thoughts aside, ignoring them, because he did not want, to, because he did not want them to deter him from achieving this important goal. He was capable of understanding the impact it would have on his victims. He knew death would be irreversible. He knew their families would grieve. 
and at various times during his assessments by various experts, he described his actions as being devastating, despicable, shocking, morally terrible, a horrible thing, and irredeemable. Even if he only worked out this, even if he only worked this out intellectually, without truly being able to fully grasp it emotionally or to have empathy, that is sufficient. It still demonstrates that he had a functioning, rational brain, one that perceived the reality of what he was doing and knew it was morally wrong by society's standards. And contrary to everything he had been taught about right and wrong, he then made the choice. He chose to commit the crimes anyway, because it was what he really wanted to do. This was the exercise of free will by a rational brain capable of choosing between right and wrong. He freely, choose, he freely chose the option that was morally wrong, knowing that the consequences would be for himself and for everyone else. It does not matter that he does not have remorse nor empathize with the victims. Lack of empathy for the suffering of victims, even an incapacity to empathize for whatever reason, does not constitute a defense under Section 16 of the Criminal Code. I therefore, the find the, I therefore find that the defense has failed to establish on the balance of probabilities that Mr. Doe was incapable of knowing his actions were wrong within the meaning of Section 16 of the Criminal Code. Mr. Doe is criminally responsible for his actions. Accordingly, I find Mr. Doe guilty on all 26 counts of the indictment. Madam Justice Anne Malloy rejected the defense argument that Alec Manassian was not criminally responsible, finding that not only did he know legally what he was doing was wrong, but also that he morally knew what he was doing was wrong, finding him guilty of 10 counts of first-degree murder and guilty of 16 counts of attempted murder. Malloy uh, spoke to exactly what happened that day. She refused to name Manassian in her judgment, only referring to him as John Doe, saying that she was acutely aware media coverage is exactly what he sought from the start. Malloy said that while she accepted that autism spectrum disorder is a mental illness within the section of the criminal code that deals with the not criminally responsible defense, she said Manassian chose to run down innocent people that day. She said he planned the attack, showed no remorse nor empathy for his actions, and knew that his plan constituted first-degree murder which is why his plan was to die by cop that day. She said Manassian sought fame and notoriety and had been fantasizing about a crime like this for over a decade and admitted after the mass murder, quote, I feel like I accomplished my mission. Molloy calling it despicable and horrible. If you ever see a judge's decision, it's uh, like this decision, I read through most of it, it's 69 pages and it outlines the offense the research, the, um, you know, prior cases that her decision's resting on. And then it ends with a big, long written decision. I just wonder, like, does the judge just sit up at night, like, just, like, typing out these short books, basically? But but this one, I find, like, in... I know it was a little long as I read it there, because a few paragraphs, but I found that it really just blows the case apart. Yeah. And and makes her decision obviously the correct one. But what you don't realize when you read the report, every like line of her decision references things that were um, developed earlier in the report. So you really see the background of every statement she's making. And I think there's there's just a yeah, there's no I don't think there's any dispute. Um, He'll have his descent. His sentencing will be scheduled on March 18th is when they're going to schedule it. But it's lucky. Like he'll at least get life 
but the question now is is if his life is if the 10 life sentences are going to be uh done consecutively or all at the same time yeah they're always done at the same time i find it seems that especially like in this case where it was one act yeah like he did this one thing that killed 10 people and 16 were um were attempted murder like i could see it being a consecutive sentence yeah um but yeah i i don't i don't know what i think of that i don't like the idea of him ever getting out you think he will or is he well if he just gets one life sentence he'll be eligible for parole and at most 25 years and five years but then you know he was 21 when he did it right I think he's 28 or he was 28 when he did it. I got to check Google. Uh, no, he was born. Okay. He was born in 92. So he's 28. Oh, wow. So he did it three years ago. So he was like 25 when he did it. Right. So he's 28 in 25 years. He, he still won't be that much older than us. Yeah. Um, I don't like. I like to think he'll never get out, but I've I have no faith faith whatsoever in Canadian justice system. So yeah, that's but, a, uh, yeah. I don't know though. Like you know, I put him in the same category as a Bernardo or a, a Picton, or you know, so. As then, as far as the notoriety of the, of the crime, but yeah. as far as as a perpetrator, I think Paul Bernardo seems much more like vicious and evil. Yeah. Like Paul Bernardo, as far as I know, didn't have any kind of like obvious thing clouding his judgment. Where yeah. Manassian seems like. He may not meet the definition to be found not criminally responsible, but he seems like a bit out there, yeah, in in obsessive and all this stuff. But yeah. I think um, I have a, my guess is that he'll spend a long time in a prison, hopefully a, his full sentence, but then will probably end up spending a good chunk of his life in some kind of halfway house where he's getting hopefully intense therapy, but also being monitored to make sure him and anyone he's in contact with is okay but that's that's a long time away i guess at this point we can only hope that the judge um that yeah. that sentencing goes the way of the victims and the victims yeah. families because they yeah. i'm sure they don't ever want to see him out again yeah um no, me either it's a it's an awful story though and I, hopefully this is the end of it and so, like this doesn't give people ideas um but i think uh just maybe it's given what happened in nova scotia here at the rampage but it's like i think no matter what there's these psychos who are looking to kill people and they're gonna find a way to do it in an effective efficient way and like yeah. alec manassian he he's a smart there's no question he's a smart guy he mm-hmm. found a way that he could, for very little money, get a, a, the equipment necessary to kill a bunch of people. He planned yeah. to kill 100 people, and that's not – like it, he possi- that could have happened very not easily. Not reach for him. Yeah, that was not out of reach at all. In fact, the reason he stopped 
killing was because someone's coffee spilt on his windshield and it affected his vision. His vision. So he stopped, got out of his car, and, or out of the van, and he was pulling out his wallet trying to get the cops to shoot him. But So you have Manassian who uses the that vehicle, a rider truck. Let's say we have the guy in, like, was it in Las Vegas who brought a powerful, like, automatic rifle and rented a hotel room that yep. overlooked an outdoor concert. Yep. We had the guy in Nova Scotia who suited up a cop car and dressed like a cop and went yeah. on a killing spree. I just yep. think, like, any like, little change that is in reaction to one of these specific crimes, like, it's there's just someone's going to evolve it in some other way afterwards. Like what they stopped the sale of decommissioned police cars as a, as a result of what happened in Nova Scotia, yeah. but that's just that one guy, yeah. you know, and maybe they changed the way people can rent vans in, you know, in Toronto, but I don't, I, think, I don't know if that's yeah. the case. They may have, I don't know. Well, what they did do was they put like the barriers up and stuff as kind of a reaction to this sort of thing. But what did like, if you if you remove the method that if you take all the mass murderers uh, and take away the method that they used, and you look at like what else they have in common, like maybe that's the stuff you need to they need to target. I don't know. Right. Certainly, it's going to. Hopefully, Canada doesn't rely on you and I to figure that out. But yeah. Um. Maybe. Yeah. It's a dark story, a horrible time yeah. in Toronto's history and in Canada's history. Yeah. Um, my... the... What's that? And and in my history. You were there. Um, I was there, man. You must, it's been three years. You must still remember it clearly, though. Yeah, yeah, I remember everyone running around like crazy uh, at work, looking out the window, seeing what's happening, and then, you know, Googling it and looking it up and, yeah, I remember you texting me. I don't remember where I was, but I remember you texting you? me like, yeah. this crazy thing's happening. And then I went yeah. like on my phone from your text message to like the news and seeing it. And yeah. you were sending me pictures out your office window. I, I think pictures. I was sending you a video of like these cops walking around outside of my uh, office building, like holding like the like, you know, assault rifles and like. Like, just crazy shit, man. Like, that was a crazy day. Um, I walk across that street every day. Like, Yeah. And, uh, I just, I, I feel bad for the victims and their families, but it's like, yeah. it's so senseless and stupid. And then, like, imagine, just imagine you're one of the families of these victims and you find out, you know, you're parent or your kid or your wife or whatever or your aunt was hit by a van and killed you would be like oh my god what a horrific traffic accident then yeah. to learn the rest of the story about there's this guy and here's what yeah. an incel is and you know and you learn all this stuff it's just like they must have just had their jaws on the floor for <laughs> like weeks after as this whole story unfolded because it's just it's so shocking and twisted and mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's just yeah, it's it says a lot about hmm. the types of communities that can form online. Although, like when I read the judge's decision, it sort of painted in my mind: was he even an incel, or was that just sort of like 
a part of his motivation or not not motivation but a part of his almost like excuse to do it like i'm thinking i'm starting to feel like he just got obsessed with elliot roger for whatever reason like yeah. again, again when i think of the episodes i did with lindsay suvonaroff for whatever reason she got obsessed with the columbine killers and tried okay. to emulate their mm-hmm. story it yeah. seems like when I'm reading about him, I'm like, did he, is he just like the Elliot Roger version of that? Yeah. Um, probably. Well, is there any, one other thing, is there any monument or anything on Young Street where this happened for the, for the victims? I don't think yet. Um, like you said, usually at Mel Lastman Square, they do a, like, you know, laying flowers or whatever on that day, but, anniversary but i don't think there is i could be wrong they should do something it seems i hope so i want to thank you for joining randy and i in our discussion concerning the conviction of alec manassian the murderer responsible for the toronto van attack but before we part tonight i'm going to give some thanks A big thanks to Randy for taking the time out from behind the slow cookers over at Cape Breton Queso to join me here. Also, a big shout out to Monty Data for contributing the music to this episode. It's a piece called Noir Tokyo. And lastly, a massive thank you to everyone who's listening to Nighttime. As without your interest and your support, Nighttime would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of the weight off the show's back, please subscribe to the premium feed. Not only does it make the show possible, it'll give you more of each topic than you're going to find here on the free feed as a matic exclusive content weekly. So for about the price of a cup of coffee, help keep the show alive by subscribing to the premium feed at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And with that said, let me thank the newest supporters of the show. Sarah, Chris, and Elizabeth, thank you for your generous support. And to anyone else out there who'd like to support the show but can't help financially, you can give me a huge hand by simply sharing the episodes on social media and telling your friends about what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas or if you want to give feedback on the show, you can reach me at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. You can also find me on social media. I use Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, And I'm live on YouTube most Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sunday nights at 9.15 Eastern Time. So until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The the decision the judge must now make is, will Alec Manassian serve this life sentence uh, with parole ineligibility consecutively or concurrently? Because he's been found guilty of 10 counts of first-degree murder, if if he served uh, those sentences consecutively, he could be facing 250 years without parole uh, eligibility, which would mean he would virtually die in jail. So this is the next part of this uh, phase, but it looks like he could spend the rest of his life behind bars, which is something all these families are so relieved uh, to hear finally after three years. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.